Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to The Gabby Ree Show, where we break down the complex worlds of health, fitness, family, business, and relationships with the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Gabby Reese, and I'm here to simplify these topics and give you practical takeaways that you can start using today. We all know that living a healthy, balanced life isn't always easy. Let's try working on managing life a little better and have some fun along the way. Because after all, life is just one big experiment and we're all doing our best. Your generation should be the first generation not to fear Alzheimer's because there's a tremendous amount you can do. This was a big fear for my generation, but you should be able to avoid this pretty much 100% for your life. We've all been told there's nothing you can do about this disease. There's a tremendous amount you can do, but you've got to do the right things for the right people in the right way and the right order. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is an expert in neurodegeneration, Dr. Dale Bredesen. What if we didn't have to worry about Alzheimer's anymore? Well, Dr. Bredesen has been working in this area of Alzheimer's and dementia for over 40 years, and he has come up with so many programs. He's written a book called The End of Alzheimer's Program and other books, and he now has case studies. People who have been in cognitive decline and are now through lifestyle changes, medication, certain treatments, not only seeing improvement, but getting back to normal. Not only that, but what are the things we can do right away when we're small children in our 20s, 30s, and 40s to avoid this process altogether? There are tests. There are things that you can find out about your genetics. There are things you can do in your lifestyle habits. There's supplementation that you can do to protect your brain from really doing what he calls just a protective mode. It's the non-growth mode, and that's what it is. And for me personally, I mean, you hear about Alzheimer's, but you're like, really, what is it? And there are so many variables, not a million, but quite a few variables that impact reasons why people have this type of cognitive decline. And there really is now a way to not only avoid it, but improve it. He is dedicated to this space and has been doing this work a really long time. You can see his passion. And I just really appreciated Dr. Bredesen and all that he had to say. I hope you enjoy. As you know, in health, it's just an incredible time right now. Uh, so, you know, the 100-foot wave uh, of, uh, of global health is neurodegeneration. Mm. It's incredible. And so it's always been an area where you, if you have Alzheimer's, frontotemporal dementia, Lewy body dementia, just go right down the list, ALS, you're going to die. It's 100%. And we're the first to reverse cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease. So we got the beginning of the 100-foot wave. Now we need to know that we can do it for every single person. In our trial, 84% of people got better. That was freely available online, published last year. Right. Uh, we need to make it so that they get completely better. 
and we need to make it so that all other diseases same. So Dr. Bredesen, you're saying some very big things. Yes. Maybe we could back up just a little. And I, I was curious, I'm always curious when people get into a certain specific type of care, were you ever impacted when you were younger? Was there a grandma or someone in your life? So when you went to medical school, you thought, oh, this is what I'm going into? Or why did you pick this field? Yeah, I picked this field because I was a freshman at Caltech and I read a book called Machinery of the Brain by Dean Wooldridge. This is Thompson Ramo Wooldridge fame. And I thought, wow, the, as I was interested in computers at that time, and I thought, wow, the brain is such a fascinating physiological computer. And there are distinct differences between the way a computer chugs through its data and the way the brain does. But there are some similarities, and it's absolutely fascinating how the brain works. And when I, what I found very quickly when I went to medical school then to pursue neurology is that the, the, the area of greatest medical failure therapeutically is neurodegeneration. So as they say, everybody knows a cancer survivor, nobody knows an Alzheimer's survivor. So we described the first back in 2014, and these, some of these people are still doing very, very well almost 10 years later, very excited about that. So that's how I got in, in, uh, interested in it. And it is interesting that when you started, it was sort of like a no-win game. Oh, absolutely. And I think you know much of it still is. I was wondering about, because you've taught, you've done all types of things around this topic, but when you're doing the research and you're trying things, um, and I, I've heard you say, hey, you can't, you know, there's not a bullet approach to this, that there is sort of sometimes this buckshot approach, but while you're yeah. going through all of these variables and, and you, you've said, hey, there's not thousands, there's sort of hundreds. Yes. What is yes. it in you or what is the the system in you that you, as you're going along and maybe something doesn't work and then it works, how do you maintain that, that kind of drive and faith when you're in something that may, that people are like, maybe we'll never be able to figure this out? It's a great point. And actually when the first person got better, which is in 2012, she called me up on a Saturday morning at my home, tell me how much better she got. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, after all these, you know, we've been in the lab for almost 30 years. Mm. So you're right. Uh, that is the most depressing. And I have to say, what's worse than that is when you actually get something that looks pretty good and your colleagues say, no, we don't believe it anyway. So like, no, no, look, look at the science. This is actually working. And your colleagues say, no, we don't believe it. That's the worst. But you're right. Uh, so we, you know, we tried to start very simply. I set up my lab originally at UCLA in 1989. I had worked for two different Nobel laureates. Uh, very excited about the work that they did. I mean, they really changed the world uh, of you know of what's going on in the brain. And so when we set up the lab, the idea was very simple. We wanted to understand the fundamental nature of the neurodegenerative process. Why is Alzheimer's so common? What's actually happening to people's brains when they get Alzheimer's? You know, one, one of every seven people dies of Alzheimer's in the U.S. It, it dwarfs the pandemic. So about so pandemic has killed over a million Americans. Alzheimer's will kill about 45 million of the currently living Americans if we don't do something about it. Um, and we've gotten to the point now that we can pretty much say if you start early, it's optional. If we get everybody uh, who's on prevention or earliest changes, we can do a great job. It's the fact that people wait. 
You know, you feel so sad for people like, you know, poor Bruce Willis, where, you know, people knew there was something wrong mm. for years, but they just really didn't do something about it. Now, to be fair, he unfortunately has frontotemporal dementia, which is different than Alzheimer's. But again, it's part of that neurodegenerative group. And we're understanding better and better and better what actually drives that process. So we were, when we were studying this, we got to the point where we could see, okay, there are specific signals that come into brain cells. And you could start to look at these, as you mentioned, it's about silver buckshot. It's the buckshot you got to, each one has to be hitting the right thing. And so we started to be able to do that and said, okay, well, let's see if we can do a clinical trial with a drug that changes you from the bad side to the good side. And we realized very quickly, one drug is not going to do it. So we started saying, hmm, okay, what could we add to one drug? to target those other things. We identify what we call 36 holes in the roof. It's 36 different pieces that are all critical to give you that synaptogenesis. You're getting away from the losing the synapses. Now you're restructuring and making new synapses. And what we found is, okay, wait a minute. Actually, exercise alone hits several of these. Well, wait a minute. A plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet hits a couple of more of these things. And wait a minute, really good quality sleep with appropriate deep sleep and appropriate REM sleep, that hits a couple more. We started realizing, wait a minute, we can construct for each person a precision medicine personalized protocol so that we can actually hit all the different things. And you know, when I was a little, little boy, I, I was in a surf club and there was a lot of discussion about what it would take to ride a 60-foot wave at Kaina Point. It's like, it was impossible. No one had ever done it. So, okay, it was it pointed out, hey, you know, you can't just paddle into, when you get to a certain size, you just can't paddle into these things. So, of course, along comes your husband and his two buddies, uh, Dave and Buzzy, and they changed the world by inventing toe-in, right? So toe-in, the toe-in for medicine is precision medicine. It allows you to do things that have never been done before. So if you go in, unfortunately, 99% of doctors are still practicing the old way. Gabby, if you went in today and said, you know, I'm having trouble with my memory, things are not good, then they, they might say to you, okay, they'll check your B12 level, they'll check your vitamin D, a few other things. And then they'll say, oh, Gabby, you know, you're in the earliest stages of Alzheimer's disease. We're really sorry. Nobody knows what causes it. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, that's the old way. So now what we can do is we can look at all the different, you know, all the different informatics, basically, all the, you know, your whole genome, your epigenome. We can look at specific markers. We can look at your uh, tendency toward inflammation. We can look at your HSCRP, your homocysteine. Just go right down the list. Mm -hmm. Right now we look at 150 different variables, but it should be millions and it will be millions pretty soon that you can do. And therefore we can see, ah, Gabby, here's what's actually driving this. You may have changed your oral microbiome. You may have a little bit of a leaky gut. You may have some chronic sinusitis. You may have a chronic infection that you didn't know about. Now, when we address these things, that is the silver buckshot. People get better like never before. So that's the, that is the toe-in of medicine. And unfortunately, it hasn't been caught, it hasn't caught on in part because third-party payers don't want to pay, as you know. So we need to change the fundamental practice of medicine. I think it's an interesting thing because it's sort of a push and pull where sort of, and again, I'm not going to get into this aspect of it, but money is certainly made at the end when people yeah. are not well. 
And my whole thing is how do we break this information down, make it people really understand it and then encourage them. Hey, it isn't that it's, it's not fair, but it's worth investing in yourself. And in some of these, even some of these blood tests early, like I get my blood work, not as regularly, but what you're saying is now I know what my inflammation markers are. You know, there's these things that they're looking for that, you know, Hey, we should keep an eye on this. We're going to add this. We're going to take away this. Um, you said something about there's a difference between, I just want to catch it before we go on, Alzheimer's and frontal lobe degeneration. I'm just curious, what, yes. what, how are those different? Yeah, great point. So there are, there are several different neurodegenerative diseases. Alzheimer's is by far the most common, which is why we hear about it so much. But frontal, frontal temporal degeneration, FTD, uh, or frontal temporal lobar degeneration, FTLD, some people just call it one thing or another, um, instead of hitting your temporal lobes and your uh, parietal lobe, which is the main place you get uh, affected in Alzheimer's, it hits your frontal lobes and your temporal lobes. And it's different in terms of what you actually see when you look under the microscope. So these diseases currently are classified pathologically, really coming from the 19th century pathologists looking under the microscope. Uh, you know, Alzheimer's was 1906, so just after the 19th century, but shortly thereafter. And so when, when you look under the microscope at Alzheimer's, what you see in addition to loss of brain tissue and loss of synapses is the big thing. Um, you see this amyloid, this amyloid material. Mm-hmm. It's a little piece of a protein, a little peptide that collects in the brains, just dramatic increases in this stuff, which turns out, interestingly, to be part of your innate immune system. It's the stuff that's fighting the microbes. Mm. So the old view was, uh, you know, we want to get rid of that amyloid. And that's unfortunately what the drugs do. Things like aducanumab, lucanumab, donanumab, they're getting rid of your ability to fight these microbes. So, and then you can imagine, you know, what you really want to find out is what are they fighting and what do you can do about it? And then you see also this tau, um, which is the thing that is actually bolts. So when you put out processes in your brain, you got to keep them stable. So you bolt the microtubules together with tau. And so no surprise, when this pops off, mm. things collapse. Frontotemporal dementia, you don't see those things. You see something, a different thing that's called TDP43. It's a different protein that collects and it's a different place in the brain. You know, years and years ago, um, and I want to talk about your books too. uh, I read Grain Brain. I think a lot of people did. And there was one thing that really stood out for me about what Dr. Perlmutter said, because he was so interested in this because of his dad. He said, listen, when your elbow or your knee hurts, it's like, you're like, oh, I have inflammation. I'm sore. It's like, oh, but when you get this inflammation of the brain, we don't know. And so he sort of presented this idea of like, oh, this is a chronic inflammation of the brain. And it would almost be, and now I've heard you and other people, it's sort of like, almost like a diabetes three where there's things I'm oversimplifying it for people to try to understand, but like, there's things we can actually really do to either pull back, and this is where your you know protocols and your new book out, which is a program itself, about that. But I think a lot of people think, oh, that's it; it's a sentence, and this is right. That's a, yeah. this is how it is. So maybe we could we can first look at Alzheimer's um, and just talk about you know there's things that happen. You know why does it start? It can start as early as for uh, you know anyone. And it's a, it's a long, it doesn't happen. It doesn't start at 65. It's 
it starts sooner. But one thing you said that really jumped out was this is the brain protecting itself. Right. It's a completely different way. So when you actually get down and look at the molecular biology of this disease, it's not what we thought it was. It's not that this amyloid is hurting your brain. It's that your brain is under attack. And by the way, this can start in your 20s. So we don't diagnose it typically until your 60s and 70s. Although one thing I wanted to mention, which is critical, the epidemiologists have shown us that the most dramatic increases have been in people in their 40s and 50s. So something that when I was training in neurology way back in the 1980s, we never saw people in their 50s with Alzheimer's. It was a disease of typically 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Now, one of the most common things we see is people in their early 50s developing Alzheimer's. In fact, I just someone called our home at 4 a.m. here from the East Coast saying, crying, saying, uh, my, you know, my, my spouse has developed this and is 58. And, and I, we hear it all the time. So it, unfortunately, this is on the rise in young people. And here's why. So what happens is you have insults to your brain just like anything else. And, and you know, David and Lee's are old friends of ours. Um, David's done a great job with so many things in neurology um, and has been writing, you know, grain brain and, and other really important pieces uh, about what's going on in your brain, you know, for many years. So what happens is you get attacked. Your brain is under attack from organisms, interestingly, from your oral microbiome. The neuropathologists who've looked in the brain find oral microbiome organisms in your brain. They find candida in your brain. They find Lyme disease bacteria in your brain. So our brains are under assault. And of course, we're also exposed to toxins like never before from the food we eat, from the air we breathe. I mean, the whole disaster right now on the East Coast with the poor air uh, because of the Canadian fires. I mean, this is a disaster. We have, of course, the California fires here, mm -hmm. which do increase the risk for dementia. And unfortunately, COVID-19 has already been shown to increase your risk for cognitive decline. And so what I'm talking about is not just about getting Alzheimer's, it's about being sharp every day. Most people can be sharper just by doing the right things. So you've got these insults, and they're mainly inflammatory insults, as David mentioned, but also loss of energetics and toxins. So the, what we found in the lab is that Alzheimer's is about two major groups of things. Too little energy to support your brain, which is why it's critical, why I love EWOT, exercise with oxygen therapy, because it's getting the blood to the right places and it's oxygenating it appropriately. It's why if you have sleep apnea, you're not going to be as sharp as you should be. Energetics, number one for Alzheimer's. And right along with those, 1A is inflammation, as you said. And it's interesting. It's, it's the innate part of the immune system, not so much the adaptive part. It's that older evolutionary part which gives you the inflammation. And it's especially the memory component of that, which lives in three places. It lives in your bone marrow. It lives in your endothelial cells that are supplying. That's why the blood vessels tend to become sticky and you actually get some thromboses in people who are getting Alzheimer's. And then thirdly, it's in the tissue macrophages, which in your brain are called microglia. They're the little guys running around. They're eating up the plaque and trying to get rid of it. But you do, they don't want to get rid of it until you get rid of the inflammation. So the idea of removing plaque, it, it makes, it's just like saying, 
I'm going to paddle into the 100-foot wave. I don't care. Yeah, you're not going to survive. And this is the problem. They just keep removing this stuff instead of saying, let's get after what's causing it. Then we can remove this stuff. And that, I think that's the future, combining targeted drugs with these overall personalized protocols. That's what Alzheimer's is all about. And then we can, uh, then we can adapt this to... Uh, you know, to all these other frontotemporal dementia, Lewy body dementia, ALS, et cetera, et cetera. Dr. Bredesen, I'm going to ask a really basic question because when I was doing the research for this, I realized I don't actually understand why people die of Alzheimer's. I I started really thinking about it. I was like, okay, you know, you see all the movies, you see things. I've had experiences where, okay, they don't remember you. They don't. What actually happens that people die from, from this disease? It's a great point. Uh, and, and the reality is you're right. It doesn't affect your brain so much that you just stop breathing. That's typically for 99.9% of people. So what happens is, you know, you, we all forget that, you know, you're doing a lot today. You brushed your teeth today. You got up today. You took care of yourself. You did all the appropriate things. When you stop being able to do that, what happens is you get infections, you get pulmonary emboli. So they lie in bed, they get clots, they throw them to their lungs, they die. They get infected, bladder infections, common ones. This becomes sepsis, you get this throughout your body and you die. Um, so unfortunately, it is, it, it is just the inability to do the daily activities that ultimately lead to the deaths of people. I love the way you're, you said, hey, this is the protective mode, not the growth mode. And so many yes. people, I feel like they, they get into a, a conversation with themselves about like I'm a certain age and they almost also think that they can't be in a growth mo- mode. But the reality is yeah. we can grow new neuropathways forever. So Professor Mike Mersnick took on this problem years ago because it was claimed as you get old. And he's a, from UCSF, great guy. He's the one who's, he's the father of brain training. So he said, look, when you do brain training, you have new interactions. You have new things you can do for your entire life. It does not stop. Yeah. And I I just love that idea because people think, oh, well, it's, you know, this is just how it is. And I'm also curious, you see patients or people come to you and it is so difficult to get people to be compliant to try something yes. new. And it, it always interests me that where people, if you say, hey, you got to get walking and maybe, you know, give up that whatever drink or that, you know, certain type of excess of that type of food. Have you found, and I ask this question a lot, have you found a technique or a way to reach people that they will all of a sudden, regardless of what age they are, make a change and make a pivot? Do you, what is it that gets them finally to do it? Yeah, this is such a great point because this has been one of our biggest issues. People typically don't want to do what it takes for prevention no. because they're like, they don't feel bad. But So what I find is actually it's the second. So when you get cognitive decline that's associated with Alzheimer's, you go through four phases. Uh, and of course, you know, everyone right now is talking about reversing aging and Ozempic. Those are like the two things that are yeah. everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So what good does it do to live to 140 if 70 of those years are dementia? I mean, it just doesn't help, right? right? So we want to make it so that everyone stays sharp to 100. When you go, when you lose your sharpness, so the, the first phase is you're asymptomatic. You, you can already show on PET scans that you're beginning to lose those synapses. You're beginning to have the changes associated with Alzheimer's, which is interesting is loss of the ability to utilize glucose in your temporal and parietal regions. That's step one. 
phase one. Then the phase two is subjective cognitive impairment. That's when people will start to listen. They say, you know, I, I can't remember phone numbers anymore. I didn't uh, recognize a face of my old friend yesterday. I, I pulled up to a stop sign. I didn't know which way to turn. Things like that. That's SCI. Now, interestingly, SCI lasts about 10 years on average. So we have a tremendous opportunity and we can make, basically make 100% of SCI people back to normal. It's pretty easy, but they won't, you know, they won't do it for prevention. So we're trying to encourage everyone, look, if everybody would get on either prevention, if you're 40 or over, get on prevention. It's easy to do. Get a cognoscopy, um, which is to find out the basic things. What, is, what are your risk factors? You won't do that, then please do SCI when you, as soon as you have those first changes. Well, what happens? Someone tells you, oh, you're probably just, it's normal for your age. And that's, the, that's not doing you any favors. The third phase is MCI, mild cognitive impairment. By definition now, you're not scoring normally on cognitive tests. Now, 84% of those people got better in our trial, but we worked hard to get that. It's not, in the general population, it's not that easy to get that many people. So please, what is that? First, if we do the first two phases, what's that? What does that look like? What do these tests look like? Yeah. And then what, is it what does it take to get to right the ship? So the, the, when you take these cognitive tests, they're going to test several parts of your brain. So they test your memory. They test your ability to uh, read. They test your ability to remember simple things, add and subtract. So they do, you know, serial sevens is a common one. So, you know, you're subtracting seven, 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 seven. And then recognizing things, recognizing shapes. Um, interestingly, drawing a cube and then drawing a clock, one of the first things that goes in Alzheimer's disease is the ability to draw a clock and put the hands on appropriately, which I've always found interesting because that's a pretty easy thing for most people to do. But because of the area of the brain that is affected, the parietal lobe especially, um, they lose the ability to draw that clock, and it often is very frustrating. We had someone just recently, by the way, that had what's called posterior cortical atrophy. It's one of the presentations of Alzheimer's, tremendous problem with shapes, um, and she's gotten it back. It's so cool. She can draw a cube again. She can do all this stuff again. It's just so great to see people who had a terminal illness get better and stay better. We have people over a decade now. That have, uh, that have improved. So those are the things that they typically check when they check your cognition. And then when you, on this third phase, and you say, hey, we got 84% of our people to improve, is it that combination of lifestyle change with medicine? Like, what is the, what does that look like? Yeah. And then when you say we had to work hard, is it just really staying on top of people and making sure their environment when they leave you is consistent with supporting that recovery? How does it work? Yes. So number one, they have to do the right things each day. I mean, you as a competitive athlete, you know, if you took a year off, it would take some time to get back. No question. You know, and you know, you may take a day off, but you're not ever going to take a year off. But this is what's happening. You have to remember when we see these people, we're seeing a process that's been going on typically for 10 to 20 years. Mm. So we have to first figure out what's been causing it. And on some of these things, people don't even believe it. We say, oh, you know, do you realize in your home you have stachybotrys and stachybotrys is a mold that produces a neurotoxin. You've been exposed to it for the last 10 years. You've lost a lot of synapses. We got to get you out of that home. We got to get it remediated. They say, we had one person in the trial, one of the few who didn't get better in the trial said, I don't care if there's mold in my home. I'm not leaving and I'm not fixing it. 
So she was one of the few that did not get better. Mm. So you have to address, you have to first find them. It's like Sherlock Holmes. You got to look and see, are there infections? We had the woman that I mentioned with the PCA. She ended up having herpes simplex. We had to treat that. She ended up having uh, Bartonella, which is something which is a tick-borne illness, hadn't been diagnosed. We found that, we treated that. She ended up having mycotoxins, found those, treated those. And then there are the basics. There are the seven basic things that we do for everybody. So you have to have a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet. You have to have exercise, especially blood flow, oxygenation. You got to fix your sleep. So many people drop their oxygenation while they're sleeping. Got to manage your stress. Stress damages your brain. You got to do some brain training, detox, and some targeted supplements. Those are the seven basics that help everybody. Then we look for the infections and we look for the toxins that people are exposed to. And that's when we can really see, okay, for each person, we can tell them. We actually created a computer-based algorithm that says, okay, here are the things that are driving your synapses to be lost. And as you can imagine, then we can stop everybody from progressing. But then it's a different question. How do you get back the synapses that you lost? And that has to do with your hormones, and it has to do with your trophic factors, and it has to do with your stem cells. So it's a different set of instructions to build them back up. But the good news is your body is fairly plastic. It's doing this to some extent on its own. Mm. So we want to support that. Right. You're just making that environment buoyant. That's that's so amazing. Um, yeah. Now, the fourth stage, because I, I kind of parked it on the third, yes. is... Yes. So you go from my mild cognitive impairment. Again, I would entreat everyone, don't call it mild cognitive impairment because it's like saying you only have mildly metastatic cancer. Yeah. It's a relatively late stage of Alzheimer's. But by definition, that means you're not doing well on the cognitive test, but you're fine with your activities of daily living. When you lose your activities of daily living, that's when you have dementia. That's the fourth phase. That's the final. Mm. And so now you're having trouble taking care of yourself, showering. It starts with you know trouble taking care of your bills. You, you're not going to be able to drive and things like that. That's dementia. And unfortunately, as you know, pretty much everyone waits until that fourth phase. That's the worst thing you can do. If we could get everyone on early phase, we could make, we literally could make Alzheimer's optional. And you know, your generation should be the first generation not to fear Alzheimer's because there's a tremendous amount you can do it. This was a big fear for my generation, but you should be able to avoid this pretty much a hundred percent for your life. Have you, and I know this is a tough question, but you know, you've written at the end of Alzheimer's and then you have uh, first survivors of Alzheimer's and then you have the end right. of the Alzheimer's program. So you have a program, you right, have a book right. that's a program. Now, have you ever had right. somebody who was in that fourth stage or is it by then it's like, hey, in a way that's just a time situation and, you know, there's really nothing you can do or have you guys, oh. how does that work? When Absolutely. So, how does that, how is that gone? It's a great point. So what's happened, there's this thing called MOCA, which is Montreal Cognitive Assessment. It's a 30-point scale, and it tests all the things we talked about, like drawing cubes and clocks and, and memory and things like that. So when you have, when you're normal, you know, your score is probably 30 out of 30. It's perfect. And, and most people are in that 28, 29, 30, fine. Then when you're down at the 24s, 25s, that's MCI. You're, in other words, you're abnormal on your testing now. 
When you hit down in the low 20s and teens, that's dementia. And we've had people at zero. That's end-stage dementia. So I, it, very interestingly, a few years ago, I had told people, you know, come in early. And a guy wrote to me and he wrote me this nasty note. And he said, my wife has a MOCA score of zero and went on your program. And she's come back. She's doing well. Now, the difference is we can take people now from 18 to 30. We cannot take people from zero to 30. We can take people from zero to nine, mm. which is great. They can dress themselves again. They can speak again. But two big problems. Number one, we can't get them all the way back. That's my goal while I'm alive. Can we get someone from zero to 30? It's going to take, it's, you know, it's kind of point at more than 60 feet. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough one. It's going to take probably stem cells and things. But here's the big problem. When you have the fourth stage, dementia, it's harder to get people to budge. And so it's really hard. They're not taking care of right. themselves. They're getting infections. Uh, they don't remember what to do. So this is why I urge everyone, please get in early. We can do so much more. Having said that, yes, we've got a number of cases where people get better with even very low MOCA scores. It's just that it's not as common. This podcast is brought to you by Neurohacker. I've been taking other products from Neurohacker for months and months, like Qualia Mind, my focus and just mental clarity was unbelievable. And then I started taking Qualia Senolytic. Just like you, I'm trying to do my best, right? Through food and sleep and moving my body and managing stress and trying to be there for my family and all these things. Well, I feel like for me that when I find something that is science-backed that can support me, in whichever way, whether it's mentally or physically, I'm all for it, especially when it's science-backed. So Neurohacker has packed seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula called Qualia Senolytic. And what I love about this product, you can just take it two days a month. So for me, it was very fast and noticeable benefits and I felt better. And the reason is, is that there's something called senescent cells or zombie cells. And these are old worn out cells that no longer serve a useful function for your health. They waste your energy and nutritional resources, and they tend to accumulate in our bodies as we age. And there's sort of nothing you can do about that, right? No matter how early you get to bed or how many vegetables you eat. So this can lead to aches and slow workout recoveries, which I really have felt the difference. And not only that, my mental and physical energy has gone way up. The other thing about these thoughtful products is they are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free. And again, these ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And they have a backed by a hundred day guarantee. So you can try the product for almost three months with no financial risk, and then you can decide for yourself. If you are in your late 20s or older, adding qualia senolytic to your diet can play a really crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. All you have to do is go to neurohacker.com slash Gabby Reese, one word, for up to 50% off qualia senolytic. And as a listener of the Gabby Reese show, use the code Gabby Reese at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com slash Gabby Reese to try qualia senolytic with the code Gabby Reese. This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I've personally been taking Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin since right when COVID hit. I was looking for something supportive and powerful. Someone suggested it to me and lo and behold, I, got, I did some research and what I love about them is 
So women were kept out of research until 1993 by federal law. And Ritual really knows how important women are. Obviously, if you're going to be selling them vitamins, they're essential. And they conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their essential for eight women 18 plus multivitamin to really assess its efficacy. So right there, I was intrigued and even more intrigued by the results. It increased vitamin D, which is what I was looking for, by levels up to 43% and omega-3 DHA, so important, levels by 41%. And that was just in 12 weeks. So they take the time and energy to figure out, hey, you know, does this work? And is it going to be good for these women? And not to mention that what they do is so smart. They they kind of hone in on nine key nutrients and they put it in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. So if you're going to spend the time and energy to really, you know, navigate taking supplements, everything is bioavailable. Your body can absorb it. It don't know what to do. And it's really gentle on your on your stomach. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, I have an empty stomach or after food or before food. They just take away all of those pressure points and make it as easy as possible and give you comfort in knowing also that Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free. They're certified B Corp and all of their ingredients are made traceable. Don't get me started on the nice little finished touch of the minty kind of aftertaste that they put in it. I mean, they've really thought about everything. So if, you've, if you're interested, if you're in need, no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You will get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's Ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Gabby to get 25% off your first month. Is there sort of a, just a misconception maybe that's really common that people have about Alzheimer's that you see over and over? It's like that it's an old person's disease, that there's nothing really you can do about it. Is there anything else that people are really getting wrong about it? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So the entire world of Alzheimer's is backward because there has been nothing to do about it in the past. Mm. So what do they tell you? We don't know what causes it. That's BS. Mm. We, we, now, we may not know in a 1,000 cases every single one, but we know 990 out of them. So we know what's driving this. We, we know what's in your brain. We know that that amyloid is made to fight those infections. So that's the first thing. The second thing is they say, because we don't know, when someone has a problem, we're going to tell them it's probably just normal aging. We had a doctor recently himself who had gone to his neurologist because he was having trouble with his thinking. And his neurologist said, no, no, this is just normal aging. This guy was in, it was in already in the fourth phase. He had dementia, but his, his neurologist is telling him it's just normal aging. So that's the second misconception. Normal aging, you know, again, you should stay sharp till you're 100. Um, you should be doing things because you're doing the right things with your blood flow and your oxygenation, your stress levels and all those things. The third thing is, don't find out your genetics because there's nothing you can do about it. That's ridiculous. Um, so if you look at the United States, three quarters of us are ApoE4 negative. So that is the most common gene that is associated with Alzheimer's risk. 
So I checked myself, for example, on the 3-3, that's the most common. My chance, lifetime chance, about 9%. It's not zero, but it's not too high. If you have one copy of APOE4, and that's 75 million Americans, your risk is now 30%. If you have two copies, and that's uh, 7 million Americans, and most don't know it, your risk is about 70%. Most likely you will develop Alzheimer's. So everybody should find out their genetics around this, at least their APOE4. If not, there's an, about another 100 genes that are associated, but they're not as common as this one. So everyone should find out. And there's a wonderful website started by a woman who is APOE44, uh, who's doing great, by the way. Um, she's improved. She reversed her decline and she's sustained it for over 10 years. Wonderful woman named Julie G. Uh, and um, so it's called apoe4.info. So for anyone who finds out that there's APO, that they're apoe4 positive, don't give up. It's not your fate. It's just a risk. Uh, we're kind of where we were with cholesterol and lipids 50 years ago, where people were like, "Oh, wait a minute, do should I check my cholesterol?" Yes, check these things. There's a tremendous amount you could do about them. You should not have cognitive decline. Again, it should be optional. And what what role, if I mean, you know, everybody has different types of uh, like uh, dopamine receptors. Some are bigger, you know, things like that. Yes. Do these types of things also play are in play with uh, cognitive function? I mean, is that that's is that connected to um, hormones, or where does that live? That's a great point. So, if you look at you know how a country is organized, you know when a country is having problems, and, and by the way, this is somewhat similar to uh, what happened in COVID nineteen. So early twenty twenty, we knew that there was an, a new insult in the country, and this was SARS CoV two. What were we told? Okay, there's an insult, so we're going to shelter in place, we're going to socially distance, we're going to stay away from work, all that stuff. And the country went into a recession. That's the same thing that your brain is doing. It's saying there's a problem, and I'm going to have to pull back. I'm literally switching from a growth and maintenance mode to a protective mode. That means I'm going to make the amyloid, I'm going to activate my innate immune system, I'm going to kill the bacteria, I'm going to bind the metals, I'm going to deal with the toxins. So these things are all critical. And what happens, as you said, yeah, you can look at the different genetics and it tells you there are all sorts of things. Yes, the most important neurotransmitter for Alzheimer's is not dopamine, but is acetylcholine. So most of us are low in our diets on choline. We need a little more choline and that's important neurotransmitter for making memories. You give someone an anticholinergic, they lose their memory. And in fact, if you give them for a long period of time, they increase their risk for Alzheimer's. If you give them benzodiazepines for a long period of time, they increase their risk for Alzheimer's. So there's, yes, acetylcholine. And then BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, the thing that increases with exercise, is also intimately related to your ability to make and keep synapses and to the Alzheimer's processing itself. So there's a real intimate relationship there between BDNF and Alzheimer's. And then, interestingly, ketones. Another one, having that ketone level high gives you the energy that you're losing in Alzheimer's disease. And then hypercoagulable states. So the point is anything that makes this network not work optimally. It's like, you know, having your car nice with gas and grease and having everything work so it's really going well. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing that's going on in your brain. So you have to have all these different pieces. That's why this idea that it's just one thing and we're just going to get rid of that one peptide is so silly. Mm -hmm. You really have to look at the entire function. And it's also why something that helps one person with Alzheimer's may not be the right thing for another person because there are different rate limiting steps for different people. 
And this is just a fascinating disease in that way. You can see all these different things. You can tease them out, find out about the BDNF and find out about the acetylcholine and find out about the various pathogens and toxins and find out. We had one guy in the trial who had turned out to have a hypercoagulable state. He would get on an airplane and be sitting there and he would get to Europe and he was, he was confused. Yeah. And it turned out when that was addressed, which you can do pretty easily, we have a tremendous armamentarium for these things where we've all been told there's nothing you can do about this disease. There's a tremendous amount you can do, but you've got to do the right things for the right people in the right way and the right order. I think it is so, so sometimes it's, I often say like, it's scary to look under the hood. So people kind of put it at bay yeah. instead of using yeah. it as an empowerment and knowing it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. You know, I've had my DNA done and it's like, I can, I can deal with my own toxins. I produce like my free radicals and my stuff very well, but I don't yeah. deal with outside toxins very well. So like, yeah. you know, taking yeah. some kind of methylation or methyl blue or something to support me, um, it's just one little yeah. small thing. What about neurotropics? Um, you did mention a few supplements. Is there things that you, yeah. nobody, I, and I really respect that, you know, you're not giving people a diagnosis and saying, Hey, this is the, the, you know, this is your prescription, but are there things that you find are pretty supportive that people, if they, you know, after getting their blood work incorporated? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that's the good news. The armamentarium is huge. Uh, so I mentioned EWOT before. Exercise with oxygen therapy actually helps people to perfuse. And yes, there are some supplements that I really like. One of them is whole coffee fruit extract. Turns out to be very nice. It increases your BDNF. It helps just as exercise does help. Second thing is to make sure that you're able to get into some ketosis. So that's very interesting. People talk about taking ketones. It helps their performance. They can do better on bicycles and things like that. Yes, your brain, what happens is your brain has to burn one of two things, as you know, glucose, ketones. You get, you, you, and so what happens is as we get a little older, you lose the ability to burn both of those. And that's what the PET scan of an Alzheimer's patient shows. You're no longer burning glucose well in your temporal and parietal regions. So what happens is you're losing that ability because you're insulin sensitive, because you live in America and you've been eating processed food your whole life and your insulin has been crazy high your whole life and it's horrible. And so you lose that. Now, what's interesting is because the insulin has been high, that prevents you, insulin prevents you from making ketones, interestingly. So you then lose both of these. So when I see patients, this is an energetic emergency. I want to get them back. So I just start by telling them, look, take some exogenous ketones. Let's at least get the ketones back. Mm -hmm. Now, over time, we can get you into endogenous ketosis. But you have to remember, this disease is a network insufficiency. You're not supporting that network and or you're demanding too much because of the inflammation. And therefore, I don't want people to go too long with fasting. They can actually be frail. They can actually hurt themselves. So love the ketones, love a whole coffee fruit extract. And then I love resolvins. So uh, beautiful work from Professor Charles Sirhan out of Harvard who discovered resolvins. And these are related to omega-3s. And what's interesting is, I mentioned earlier, it's your innate system's memory. Well, what happens is your innate immune system has a set point. So it, when you've been exposed to saturated fats and various organisms and things like that, it's set to go off like a hair trigger. So you're sitting there and you'll, you'll make inflammation at the drop of a hat. So when you take omega-3s, it lowers the set point. It says, hey, 
chill. You know, we're okay, we're going to get rid of that. The problem is if you continue to have organisms, it's going to be a problem. But we want to dial that down. We'll find the organisms. We'll get rid of them. And now you're going to do better. So I love uh, the resolvins and I love omega-3s because they are cousins of the resolvins. And they one's more of an anti-inflammatory, one's more of a resolution of inflammation. Um, and then, of course, vitamin D. So many people are low on vitamin D. Um, and in fact, you know, you're getting out in the sun a lot, so you're in great shape there. But most people are too low. I supplement. I'm low. Listen, I'm yeah. right there with you. Yeah. I mean, I live with a, a Laird. Is nobody I know is outside more and Laird supplements. Yes. So the again, these really are, interesting. It's just about paying. You know, the, and just sort of tweaking and his like. If I looked at his blood work a year ago, it was low, and then he started yeah. supplementing, and now it's he's in good shape. Yeah. So it, it really and, does and you know work. What? It affects your brain. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, people who are low in vitamin D are unquestionably at increased risk for Alzheimer's yeah. disease. So very helpful. And then other things, you know, most people in the U.S. are low in four things. They're low in, they're low in uh, choline. They're low in iodine. They're low in zinc. They're low in magnesium, as you know, and you can throw in potassium as a fifth as well. So most of us are low in these things. And of course, again, depending on what food we're eating, how we're eating, uh, there, there's a huge issue there. And I don't know if you've interviewed uh, Professor Rick Johnson from University of Colorado. Not yet. But so he, David Perlmutter, and I published a paper just a few months yeah. ago uh, on the whole issue of fructose. Mm -hmm. And his work is beautiful, showing that fructose actually tricks your body. It's telling you winter's coming. So you dial down your ATP, which is horrible for Alzheimer's. I saw, I actually, I saw an interview with all of you and I really appreciate, um, and then neurotropics, are you, do you think it's gimmicky or, or do you think it's sort of like uh, so, later? Yeah. You mean, yes, nootropics. So, so that's what you're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, so the issue there is they're fine. I have a no problem. In general, what we're trying to do is as physiologically relevant as possible. Yeah. So help you to have optimal various things. These things are a little bit like you're adding a little flogging. Now, there's, there's, it's, that's not so bad. Um, and in fact, what's interesting, a lot of the people who are developing cognitive changes will get some degree of ADD. <laughs> so, and then some people argue it's a bit controversial and people say, well, you really had it when you're a kid and you're kind of revealing it again, but we see it pretty frequently. They don't have the attention that they did before and therefore they're not storing the memories. And so even some of them will tweak with little bits of Adderall um, and you don't want to do that every day, right. but for certain periods of time when you want that to be focused, you can do that. Yeah, and yeah, um, the nootropics, they've been controversial, um, but I have no problem with them. Again, we'd like to see everybody to be sharper. Most people don't realize that their normalcy with their brain is not as what they could be. And it's, of course, it's just like what you see with people exercising. You know, they're not what they could be. They could do better if they would get out there and be jogging more and get out there and be doing exercise and, and keeping nimble and all those sorts of things. And I think the name of the game is, listen, it doesn't have to be everything all at once. It just has to be consistent. Exactly. And we've got, and it's like, you've got to get going. And so I'm yes. always like trying to, encourage people. This isn't about, you have to kill yourself and deny yourself every single day, but you have to consistently move. You've got to consistently try to eat well. You've got to get to bed and find ways to sleep really quickly yeah. on, on sort of sleep apnea or disruptive sleep. 
How would a person, let's say they're as far in and they've got sleep apnea, what are ways that they can sort of get their sleep regulated, maybe hopefully without kind of heavy duty medications? Because that has its own set of issues that I'm sure you're trying to really avoid when you're going through this process. Yeah. So, you know, wearables are going to be very helpful to all of us. And so it's easy now. You can check with your Apple Watch or you can check with your Aura Ring and just see where did I go with deep sleep? You want to have at least one hour of deep sleep a night. You want to have at least an hour and a half of REM sleep a night. And if you've got sleep apnea, you may see the oxygenation dropping down. Now, there's another condition called upper airway resistance syndrome, which is a little harder to pick up, relatively common. And so there are several things you can do. Of course, one thing you can just get a dental device, but I would, again, if you've got sleep apnea, as you probably know, it increases your risk, not just for Alzheimer's, but also for heart disease, also for hypertension, also for esophagitis, also for atrial fibrillation. I mean, it's it's horrible. And so you really want to address that, get with someone who does that for a living. Um, and they may, uh, they may say, look, you should get some CPAP uh, or APAP. They may say, look, you can just do it with a dental device. I think the devices are getting better for sleep apnea mm-hmm. so that it's easier and easier to do this. The other thing is people are starting to look at what's actually causing. Is your airway small? You can actually, over time, a little bit like having braces, you can begin to open that airway up at night and so have less of that. You may have some chronic sinusitis that needs to be dealt with. So there's a, there are a lot of options, but it's claimed that 80% of sleep apnea goes undiagnosed. So you definitely, if you've got any question, get it checked out. And if you have a parent who's got a kid at home, because I feel like the onset when you're saying you got the call at 4 a.m. is, I think we just live a more stressful life and there's just no way around. Yeah. I really believe that we can do a lot of the right things in lifestyle, but if we don't find a way to manage our stress or mitigate stress, I think it kicks our butt in a whole serious way that, you know, I I think is invisible to us. And we seem to just be cranking it up as we go. You must be seeing this in your your practice. Um, If you have a parent who's listening to this, it's like if you have a suggestion based on what you've seen or lifestyle, just, you know, a suggestion or three about, hey, this is something to pay attention to, to get these young people off maybe in a, in just a better direction for cognitive health. Yeah, it's a great point. So, you know, we were made as human beings evolutionarily to have periods of stress and then resolution and periods of stress and resolution. And that's okay. Um, That is hormesis. You're actually improving things. I mean, that's what you know, that's what competitive athletics are. It's stress and and resolution, stress and resolution. The problem is for so many of us, we have this chronic unresolved stress. And so you just keep going for years and years and years. And absolutely. um, So when I, when my first week as an intern, uh, way back, this is 1978. So up all night, every night, all night. And by the end of the week, I couldn't get my shoes on because my ankles had swollen so hard because I just walked 24-7. And it was, it's not a way for human beings to function. Now, it was later uh, that the Libby Zion rule came into after Libby Zion sadly was passed away because people were not thinking because they had been up for days. They got rid of that, it's, although it's, it's still somewhat bad in some places. But it turned out massive stress. And so I ended up getting arthritis, essentially revealing an arthritic process um, that, was, that was under there. So what I would say to people is, and especially for young people, 
take some time. Yes, go have some stress. The, the, the thing that's tricky about being young is you can get over almost everything. So you don't see the damage that it's actually doing unto, to you until you're older. So take some time away. Take some time. Do things that you love. Um, the, the enjoyment is actually a huge positive for your brain. Your brain shrinks when it, you know, when it gets exposed to chronic stress. Um, you know, find what you like. Some people like forest bathing. Some people, so-called Shinroku. Some people like music. Enjoy some music. Some people like, uh, you know, getting out in meditation, yoga. These things. I used to, as a scientist, I used to laugh at, at these things. I thought, oh, come on, this is not going to move the knee. This doesn't move biochemistry. But I, I have to say, I can't ignore the data. It absolutely does move the biochemistry. The other thing I would say is. Get some of these things checked out. You might be surprised that your telomeres aren't as long as you thought they were. You might be surprised that you're already starting to have insulin resistance. I mean, we have insulin resistance in eight-year-old kids now. And, and so, you know, find out where you stand. And if you've got this, then the great news, you can do things. It's easier and easier to do things. One of the common things is people say to me, I don't want to eat this this." this plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet. It's too much of a pain. I got to go shop for things. I got to look to see what's organic. I got to find the right things. Okay. So we worked with Nutrition for Longevity. Great group. They work with Walter Longo. In fact, was founded by Walter. Uh, they do fasting mimicking diet. So they now have put together our KetoFlex 12-3 diet, which is a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic brain supportive diet. You can get it from them. It's really, really easy. Mm -hmm. So the good news is do some of these easy things and enjoy it. Enjoy life and you will live longer, you will live happier, and you will avoid these chronic illnesses that unfortunately don't announce themselves symptomatically until they're mostly over. Yeah. Um, in wrapping up, uh, Dr. Bredesen, I, I'd be remiss not to say something because you're, you know, you hit the woo-woo part, like, oh, give me a break. Cause I love, I do love scientists. Like, you know, they'll be like, well, what's the science? But based on what you said, yeah. I just am curious because a lot of people take adaptogens for cognitive function. And I don't yeah. mean yeah. they're tripping out. I just mean they're, they're adding adaptogens into their daily lives. Are you sort of like expensive urine or how do you feel about that? No, in fact, there's so much coming online here. So adaptogens, huge. Um, I, I take them myself. They, I think they're they're fantastic. Things like ashwagandha, it's an adaptogen and it's actually supportive. Again, we're trying. The change in medicine is it's not about one thing killing you. Right. It's about a network that's dysfunctioning. So we don't want to hit it with a hammer. We want to be tapping here and tapping there and improving these things over time. And you can add, what about psilocybin and all these? This is the next big wave. Right. And the interesting thing is those are pro-synaptogenic. Uh, so they are allowing you to change your mind. Mm -hmm. They are allowing you to change your sentiment. One of the things we're interested, will they be important now that you've gotten rid of what's causing the Alzheimer's? Will they be important to help you reestablish the synapses? We don't know yet. Right. The jury's out on that. That's a huge issue. So there, again, there's so much that you can do. And again, just being aware of these things, not letting yourself run into the ground. And the first symptoms, either get on prevention or initial symptoms, please don't wait. And I, I have to laugh when people go, you know, it's such a pain. I have to go to the store. I have to cook. At some point, I want to say to people, what is the priority? 
And, uh, you know, like, I think we can put a little effort into also trying to figure out our food. Um, finally, you, you mentioned yeah. telomeres, which makes me think of uh, Dr. Sinclair, David Sinclair's work. Sure. Um, is there, how do you feel about any of that kind of, I don't want to say tying in, but is there any of that that could, you know, give some buoyancy to what you're talking about? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've known David for years and I think the work is really interesting. So he's now interested in reprogramming, of course. And his argument is we're going to be able to go from 60 to 20. Time will tell. <laughs> um, of course, I, I worry about some of these issues because there are things that have changed. So now what we can do today is we know, and this is from Kara Fitzgerald's work. Kara's done some really cool stuff where she's taken people about 3.2 years younger. Okay, so there's a little, you can definitely go backward a little bit. Can you go backward 40 years? We don't know yet. Uh, you know, hopefully David's going to tell us uh, and, and others over time. But what we can do when we're in our new trial that we've just started at six different sites around the country, we are including brain aging, and we're including biological age. So we believe that what we've been doing for the brain will make people a little bit younger, but it's probably going to be you know, relatively small changes in terms of making people younger. But these are things you can do, and absolutely telomeres are, are part of this. Um, you know, when you're under stress, when things are bad, they showed that caretakers of people with Alzheimer's under tremendous stress and their telomeres are shorter on average. So again, we're understanding the whole network yeah. like never before. Well, I, I really appreciate not only your approach, but just the, the kind of faith to plug along and create these programs. Um, the, the book, The End of uh, Alzheimer's Program, I would encourage people, but you have other books as well. And, and could you just remind us, Dr. Dale, where everybody can find you? Sure. Yeah. So Dr. Dale Bredesen on Facebook, you can find me there. Um, you can, on, and um, you and Apollo Health Co. I work with Apollo. That's a group from Apple, actually, that does uh, really interesting uh, software. Yeah. Um, so there's a tremendous amount you can do there. Uh, and, and then also, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Dr. Dale Bredesen. Well, again, thank you so much. And, you know, reminding people if you're in your twenties, thirties, or forties, it's, it's a good time to, get things checked out, take a test, get your blood work done and, and know a little bit about your genetics to give you that tool for prevention, yes. um, for this long-term kind of vitality. Cause I don't know what's, if it's about longer, I just think it's about kicking ass until we're, we move on to the next. Our goal is to keep everyone sharp to a hundred and to be able to tell people you don't have to worry about Alzheimer's. Yes. I mean, that's a great feeling. It is. And in, in, in my career, the, my favorite thing is seeing people get better when they were told that nothing could be done. They, the tremendous emails I've gotten, and you, you mentioned the book, First Survivors of Alzheimer's, is seven of those people yeah. wrote their own stories. I, I have to say, and then we'll wrap it up. When you said that the man whose wife was at a zero and you're like, listen, we can't bring her back to a 30 with that he wrote you a mean note. I thought you were going to say that yeah. she got better and then she was like, oh, I don't want to be married to you anymore. <laughs> No, no, I'm no, kidding. She, she was very happy. She was. Yeah, no. You're like, oh, wait, I remember. Point. And now, no. Yeah. Well, Dr. Dale yeah. Bredesen, thank you so much. And um, I'm, I just really appreciate you. Thank you. And thanks for joining me. And thank you for your time. Great to talk to you, Gabby. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. 
If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at Gabby Reese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.